I would add. Okay, and I'm going to let him speak yeah, to that. Okay. If that's but, all right. Yeah, and let me just close it off. So the fourth, right. we'll get the analysis from BLR on right. the terms and conditions. But I guess moving back to the asset recovery, uh, direct, or Mr. Hopkins, if you'll uh, say your name and say whatever you were going to say. Sure, Brock Hopkins. I'm with uh, DHS. Asset recovery under Medicaid is required for states to pursue uh, for medical assistance payments for long-term care and waiver services of persons over age 55. The difference here is that insurance premium payments are not within the definition of medical assistance, so the obligation to recover those payments doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, there's no authority to pursue those payments. Okay. Could you, um, uh, what, what's, are we going to get a ruling? Is there anything anticipated to put that on paper? Is that based on previous court rulings? What, where are you pulling that from? I'm pulling it from our review of the statute and uh, our opinion as to what that means for estate recovery. Also, on the state plan provisions that refer to estate recovery based on medical assistance payments. Because, I mean, based on your explanation, only Arkansas would be exempt. I think, because we're, we would be the only state, well, I guess the state that didn't expand, but then also um, a state, if, if the fact that it's a premium payment is what excludes it from asset recovery, that would only apply to us. Correct, and, and, and it is just long-term care and waiver services for persons over 55, so it's, it never was and is not a program-wide recovery. So the asset recovery only applies to that population? And those particular services. Aren't most of the long-term care going to be traditional Medicaid anyway? Mostly. So, I mean, it, it, so let's say somebody tries to enroll in the private option, they're screened out, um, utilize long-term care services through traditional Medicaid, then the asset recovery would apply, wouldn't it? And there's no change. That's right. Let me clarify. That individual could be one of two different types, one, one who was eligible for Medicaid under the rules that existed before the expansion, for them, no difference. Those who are eligible because the income level was raised, in which case that individual ends up in the alternative benefit plan, uh, which doesn't cover long-term care. So it would be one of the, I don't know if you caught from, from Oregon or other states when the news reports came out, there is a state-level fix when this is a problem. And we're just reporting to you that we may not need that fix. I won't get bogged down. I don't fully understand, but um, when do you expect to be able to put something in writing before us? Um, if you're asking me to do that, I'll prepare an opinion uh, and let the chair and, the, and whoever else you'd like have it explaining the position. You think on you that. could do that by February 4th? Sure. Okay. And we may not, I'll have to consult with Senator Bledsoe. We may or may not add that to the agenda, but I think sooner the better uh, would, would be good. Okay. okay. Mr. Chair, yes. could, could I make a request that, that we also have BLR look at that issue as well so we'll have uh, independent analysis of that yeah, as well? Yeah, if you're okay, I mean, Mr. Hopkins, if you just want to consult with BLR and, um, you know, at the end of the day, if I, their report will, pro will probably end up being the one that um, – that legislators rely on the most. Um, so if you just want to talk to them, it probably wouldn't hurt to have BLR put something on their letterhead. Sure, that'd be fine. Okay, don't take it personal. Right. Um, <laughs> no problem. Okay. Um, okay, that'd be good. Any other questions, Representative Ballinger? No further questions. Okay, thank you.
Okay, Representative Douglas, you're recognized for a question. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I fear that my uh, science major in college has let me left me at a disadvantage with some of these figures, so I need some help with the budget neutrality. Uh, how? What was the appropriation that we just passed through committee for the private option? That is the additional appropriation as the private option, private option goes in place fully next year. That is the appropriation simply, simply lets us pull down the federal funding that Dr. Allison was talking about. And it's actually the appropriation you passed is actually less than was projected because we we're using as much appropriation that we already had in Medicaid as we can before coming to you for the additional. So what was that figure in the budget? $913 million, I believe. So we're saying that this program for these, we don't know how many will be on it, so are we projecting numbers into that budget? Right, I'm, I'm, right. I'm, we have a projected ramp up that, that helps build that number. So we're saying that possibly we're going to, uh, are we betting those numbers on 250000 or 200000 or? The, the 200 and, yeah, it, it's between the two, but not for the full year necessarily. We, we expect in July that the numbers would still, that not everybody would be on board at that point. And I had a transition or, right. or a phase-in right. numbers. The um, cost per individual in, in Arkansas for, uh, that we're paying, uh, what was it before we were on the, the private option? What were we paying per person on Medicaid? There's a, I'll just, and Dr. Allison, get into like it. Over it, a year, it really, I mean, we can give you a number. It actually really depends on the population. Seniors and people with disabilities are much more expensive than children, for example. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there is, and of course, neither seniors and people with disabilities or children are on the private option. Dr. Allison may want to go into more detail, but sometimes people throw out the average Medicaid number. I honestly think that's not a very helpful number okay. because you've well, got those two extremes. Right. Well, what um, was it? Um, it, it would have been at, it would have been at least that amount. Um, what at least what amount? At least the amount that we're paying. So uh, because of the issues that that uh, Director Seelig pointed out, the folks who enrolled in Medicaid up until December. Um, Do we have a year figure for what yeah, we, we paid? Uh, why don't we just get back to you with uh -huh. with a uh, kind of a representative per person amount, uh, and and what you'll find is that those those per person amounts are you know, comparable or high because they represent sicker individuals, those who showed up. Mm -hmm. One of the aspects is Medicaid coverage is retroactive, and that becomes common knowledge over time, so an individual knows they can sign up after they get sick and use it, which means that your denominator, the number of people who are enrolled, is, is lower than it otherwise would be. That drives, that drives the average up. So... It's an apples and oranges comparison, but we'll get you that average. Our estimate now, our estimate now for a per person on private option is that the five thousand six hundred sixty-six per year, or or what? What are we estimating per year now on private option? We have. Uh, Don't you have to have? We'll have to get back that, to you yeah. with that prediction because okay. we got different numbers floating around. We've got a prediction from. Uh, you know, from, from last fall, we now have actual premiums that we're using. We've reported 
uh, our estimate for the actual average premium for the, uh, and I now have that number, by the way, uh, $27,888,002 that is being paid tomorrow on behalf wow. of those nearly 60,000 individuals. So that, I haven't done the math yet, but, uh, you know, we have an average for that group. And then we have a projection based on mm -hmm. a more representative demographic and enrollment, which will change over time. So if, if you're looking for the prediction that's behind our, our, we could provide that as well. Right, the prediction behind yeah. your estimate for the year that's going to come out of that 913 million or sure. that, that is putting those numbers forth. Sure. And I, and I would note, I mean, what we're pleased about is I think there were concerns uh, when people were talking about expansion, talking about the private options, that somehow I saw predictions that it would be $900 a month. You know, the people were very concerned there would be high rates, and we just we haven't seen that. Our, the actual numbers that we're seeing are just almost right in line with what the actuaries predicted back in March when the bill was up. So we're, we're pleased that they are coming in on target. Representative Douglas, I think that number you used was the accurate one, um, like five thousand six hundred. To think, if you take the average per member that, per that month, that sounds cost, about right. Yeah, I mean it's it's real close. The uh, premiums that were used for, you know, you give us a figure of four hundred sixty-seven, and I know that's got some extra cost in it. Um, before we had the private option, you know, I've seen some figures that said for Arkansas that we had some of the lowest premiums in the nation and for um, for individual market. Uh, now, do you, just, you, know, you mean on the private market, do you mean Medicaid? Private market. Okay. Yeah. But, but what we're saying is this is going to save us money. And if we had low premiums for the private market, but now these premiums are the fifth highest in the nation, kind of reconcile that for me let me offer and, and again i think this is part of the ongoing monitoring that we need to do to, to 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 track with you we had some of the lowest individual premiums in the united states because we had some of the leanest benefit plans in the united states in other words before the affordable care act you could have a very lean plan that didn't cover very much right and you're going to get a low cost so on those national on those national comparisons, you're not comparing apples to apples, right. and and so now you've got a standard benefit plan that everybody's having to play with, mm -hmm. or play play with is wrong, but deal with, right? And and these premiums because our individuals in this state are sicker than most of the rest of the United States, not just the people that are uninsured, but those that are insured. We are a less healthy state than most states. Therefore, our insurance premiums are going to be more than most other states. That's an actuarial projection of the, of the, uh, um, uh, what the actuaries deal with on the carrier side, what they project the price to be. I will say the private option from the numbers that I think John and Andy presented last week they're younger coming into that marketplace than we're getting from the federal exchange. So we're getting a stabilizing effect by having younger, healthier folks coming in through the private option. So you would anticipate that possibly our actuaries, after we get all this in and we have a, a younger population and we feel like they may be healthier, that maybe our premiums will go down? That, that's precisely my hope. Well, And I would just go, go farther than that. I think it's it's more than a hope. It's a logical extension of having younger people in the risk pool 
decreases your health burden and will cause over time you to have less of a death spiral on premium cost, which is what many employers found themselves in mm -hmm. before we underwent the payment improvement and the insurance expansion effort that we're in the middle of right now. I, I would just say, Representative Douglas, I don't know if they'll go down, but I feel pretty confident they'll be lower than they would have been otherwise. I mean, costs tend to go up, but, but well, I think if, we're, if, if, if they we would are, have been here without the private option, I think they'll be here because of it. If we are in a federal hybrid, are we just doing actuaries built on Arkansas, or can we not pool with other, you know, do we not have a regional pool? No, those, those pools are by design at the state level. Even, even if the federal government is running, uh, you know, the insurance is, is operating the insurance market in, in, in Arkansas as a, as a partnership state, it's, they're, they're operating it. A lot of the decisions are here in the state. But, but by law, it is a, uh, a state-level pool. Well, and, and I would just offer by, by, by federal law. I mean, or, or did that is did we build that into our law? I mean, did what? That's the Affordable Care Act's design. Huh. Okay. Health insurance has almost always been managed at the state level sure. historically before the Affordable Care Act. The only modification I would say to what Dr. Allison said, our federal-state hybrid puts the state in charge of plan management, and we ended up with seven market areas that the carriers are actually doing their risk profile for. So right. that's why something in an area that has a higher risk burden may cost a few dollars more than some area in a lower risk burden on a per-month premium. Mm -hmm. But that's, I mean, the state is in, is in the decision-making process of, of how it deals with its risk marketing. Uh, because the 100 to 138 we wrote into our uh, waiver or our rules and regs that they are not eligible for a subsidy from the federal government. Is that correct? Well, that, that, because they're on private option. Well, we wrote it in, but it's actually a federal requirement that they're not either. So, yes. Well, if we were the only one with the private option, why did, I mean. It's, it's a great question. It's not a function of the, of uh -huh. the private option. It's, it's a function of the state plan level of, of coverage, which either is what we used to have or 138. That's the only choices we had uh, mm -hmm. that other states have, too. And so if, if, uh, if the Medicaid state plan is paying for coverage, in our case through private insurance, if they're paying for that coverage, then uh, it's an either-or, and no, those individuals are not eligible for the federal uh, tax subsidies. So is that going to raise our cost for those individuals at the end of three years when we are no longer having 100%. You see what I'm saying? They would have been subsidized for their health care, and they will not have any subsidy. I'm, I'm not sure I, I do understand the question. Uh, you know, clearly we have projected and, and designed the program so that uh, premiums in the marketplace are lower than they would otherwise B, with the private option, what would happen if the private option after three years were removed and the residual marketplace now half of its size, uh, what would happen to those individuals and the premiums paid on their behalf between 100 and 138% is, is a difficult prediction. I'm not, sh I'm not sure if that gets to your what question. I, no, what I was wondering is, are we going to have to come up with that subsidy as a state? The federal government pays a subsidy between 100 and 138. Now, after 
we well, correct so I, mean, I think what you're saying is when when the state in future years would be mm -hmm. beyond that year starts to pay a percentage mm -hmm. up to 10 in the out years does that mean we're paying the state is paying taxpayers 10 percent of the population between 100 and 138 percent whereas otherwise that yes that's a trade-off so uh in return for that we're, we're getting the 90 percent funding for all of those much larger group below 100 percent uh, and yes, that's part of the math. It would have been behind the math of, of the estimates and all of that that were provided last year as well. Yeah. And I would just add on the analyses that to keep in mind the net effect of taking the other, those below 100%, most of whom are uninsured, their uncompensated costs prior to January were over on those of us who had private insurance. So there's a of the 80-something thousand that are covered under the private option now, their uncompensated costs are not hitting our private cost shift onto our insurance now. So I think you've got to look at the net impact on the carrier costs or premium costs across the marketplace. But will that cost shift be in our federal taxes? So will ultimately, as an individuals being paying, you know, being, be paying for that? That money comes from somewhere. <laughs> Well, I think, and that's what I was talking we'll be paying for it either way. As Representative Hutchinson said, we don't have a choice on that. Mm -hmm. I think the question for us is, do we take advantage of it to cover our lower income working adults, or do we just pay the taxes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. I think that gets me for right now. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, Representative Farrar, you're recognized. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think uh, Representative Douglas hit on some of it. On the uh, $915 million that we appropriated for the private option, how does that figure come up with? Why do we just say $950 million or $15 million? Well, we, we, we actually took the total amount we thought we needed for the private option coverage you know, based on our best estimates, and then we said in the Medicaid budget already, we usually have you have always given us historically some excess appropriation in case costs change, in case federal funding comes down like the stimulus. We looked at what excess appropriation we had in there already, subtracted that from what we thought we needed, and that got us to the 913. So you just, I mean, it's basically, just, like she said, I guess, you're just guessing. It's a, it, it's a best it's estimate, a, and that's what we do. Estimate. I mean, in state government, Right. always is you make your best estimate of what you're going to need. We present that to you, but, but we only end up spending what the actual funding that's there. Okay. Well, I guess it goes to the next question. Um, the, I've been reading in the papers, and the, the, government, the governor says we'll have an $89 million loss if, we, if the private option stops. Yes, Tell sir. me, how, does it, how do you come up with that? that? That's primarily two pieces. You can look at it in smaller pieces if you want. One piece is we talked about the uncompensated care and how in the budget – the current budget, you're pulling back that uncompensated care money from those organizations. UAMS will get less in 2015, your community health centers, your community health centers, prisons. Are you talking dish money? No, this is actual just general revenue that's currently in the budget for those organizations. All right, how, how are you figuring your uncompensated care? Are you, are you going off of billable or contractuals? Well, just let me give you an example, and then you tell me if I'm answering it correctly. In the, the one that I'm most familiar with is our community mental health centers because that comes through our DHS budget in our Division of Behavioral Health. In the DHS budget for the last number of years, about $39 million total goes to community health centers to provide that safety net 
for you know people with mental health needs and, and substance abuse needs out in the community. Some of that is federal money, but 14 million of that, roughly, I mean, it may be 14.1, 14.2, but 14 million of that is just state, pure state general revenue that does not get matched that goes through us to your community mental health centers so that they can serve people who don't have a pay source. Hopefully it helped them stay out of the state hospital, keep them off the streets, out of the jails, et cetera. $14 million. In 2015, they're only going to get $7 million instead of $14 million because of the assumption that with the private option and the exchange above the private option, they will have less uncompensated care. So that's, that's $7 million of the uncompensated care I'm talking about. Obviously, we'll all want to watch that closely, and if, if they're getting hit hard or if it changes. I guess we're, how are you figuring your uncompensated care? Off of what numbers are you figuring your uncompensated care off? Well, each of those organizations tracks their uncompensated care. It's the same. Hospitals do the same. Right. But I know that, how hospitals do it. Yes, sir, but that, that $14 million figure... I don't know that today you would match that to exact figures from them. That 14 million is frankly what they, we, others have at some point convinced the legislature and governor is the right amount to give to mental health centers. I, I can tell you the mental health centers would argue they need a lot more than 14 million, but that's all that's been allocated to them historically. Okay, so we're, you're still guessing on the amount of uncompensated care. Well, it's always an estimate. Again, I think they could. I think they could show you real figures. But right. if they told you it was twenty million, told me it was twenty million, and I said all that's in my budget is fourteen million, I can only give you fourteen, whether it's twenty or twenty-one or nineteen. So I, I haven't worried too much about the exact amount because I don't have any more to give them. Right. But um, so the so the eighty-nine million is still a guess. No, the the eighty-nine million is not a guess in that we know of that eighty-nine million, about thirty-six million is actual dollars that you did give prior to 2015. You gave it out to, it was in the budget for mental health centers, UAMS, et cetera, real dollars, actual amounts. You gave it out that you're no longer going to be giving out in 2015. If we eliminate the private option, there will be a need for that money to go back out again. So that's about $35 million of it. The rest of it is our estimates in DHS from looking at real figures of what it will take to put the people back into the regular Medicaid program that we have moved out into the private sector. Then we'll have to bring them back onto Medicaid at 30% match rate rather than 100% federal funding. Right, well, so, I, I kind of asked this question, and last year we had a $400 million deficit in Medicaid. That's what we were estimating. Yes, at one point. Uh, at the end of the year, we ended up with a $450 million surplus. Mm, no, sir. A, well, 350 to $400, mm, roughly. Uh, Not DHS, I'm talking about the state. Okay, I can't speak for the states. Okay, well, that's all, right. gee, all the money. It's almost a billion dollars difference. $850 million. That was an estimate. So we were wrong, almost $850 million. I, I would just tell you, from my, from my perspective, uh -huh. and again, not speaking for the state budget, right. our, our best numbers tell us as we sit here today, that without the private option, there will be $89 million. You can round it to $90 million. Estimate. A, a hole needed to fill. Well, even if it's an estimate, if you say that's going to have to come out of Medicaid, because we've got to, for instance, give those people the income to back, if you say it has to come out of Medicaid, even if it is an estimate, we have to start making those cuts because we can't overspend. So we, we could turn out that we were off by some, but in the meantime, we, we will have made those reductions in the Medicaid budget for 2015. So it, it, it's real to us 
even if it turns out our estimates are off some. Right. But I guess the question is, we estimated last year and we were off. So we could estimate this year and be off <laughs> half, almost half a billion dollars. We could, but uh, until we have better numbers, we will have to start making those reductions. I mean, just, just to give you, again, I don't, I don't mean to use scare tactics, but if a decision was made, let's say in February or March, to not continue the private option, the reductions we would have to look at, many of them take months to put in place. So we would have to almost immediately start making decisions about what to cut so that it would be effective July 1. So we, we would not have the luxury of waiting till June 25th or 30th to see what the actual numbers are to see if we had to make reductions because we would have to, a lot of the reductions we'd have to make would take federal approval. We'd obviously need to give providers and patients some fair warning that these services were about to be cut. So we, we, really, we really can't wait and see what the real numbers are. Well, I mean, last year,